0: All right, guys, today I get to interview Carl Krauskopf, and we are going to be talking about developing real estate in Seattle. Um, so many of you know Seattle, along with a lot of the other big cities, can be challenging to develop in. Uh, but Carl, through World MF and through some other groups that he's been a part of, have, have been really successful in developing in very difficult regions. So what we're going to be talking about today is how, if you've been only going to the places that are, quote, easy. You might actually be doing the hard thing because maybe you have more competition, et cetera. So we're going to dive into that, why multifamily is a timeless asset and how it could be a great investment for you if you're looking to diversify your portfolio from single family, maybe to multifamily. So Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into why Seattle.
1: Of course, my pleasure. So why Seattle? I absolutely love it. So I live here in the city of Seattle, not one of the suburbs, but the actual core of Seattle, and. Right now, what we're seeing is a lot of obviously everybody's seeing supply issues, right? We've got uh, we've got re- rental demand, uh, we've got housing affordability. So right now we're uh, we're recording in uh, September twenty twenty three, and uh, things are con- continuing to become more and more expensive and less attainable for homeowners to go out and buy homes, right? Right now, I saw an, ar- a- a- an article that the average thirty year fixed rate mortgage is seven point one eight percent, which is just astronomical. You know, right? The, the home that I'm uh, recording this from right now, we have on a 2.75 interest rate loan. I will never sell this home. I will never refinance this home because it is free money, essentially. So, uh, why, again, why Seattle affordability, housing affordability continues to be a constraint. So right now, what does that do that forces people more and more people into a renter nation, so to speak, or into a rental, uh, rental position. Um, and again, the tenants that we're working with, given that we're in Seattle, we're in this high tech hub is that most of the tenants believe it or not actually make a lot more money than I do. Um, these are people that are straight out of college. You're making $175,000. These are straight out of college kids. Uh, now, if you're 25, if you're in, into your 30s, you're making quarter million dollars pretty easily. These are also folks that have a high, high credit scores. We're talking upper 700s, low 800s. And so, you hear the the backstory about don't you don't want to be a landowner in uh, or landlord in Seattle because it's difficult, it's tenant friendly. Absolutely true. There's a lot of regulations and compliance going around how we can and when we can increase rents, how much we can increase rent. Right now, it's, uh, you, I mean, you can still you can still increase rent however much you like, but you also have to offer relocation assistance, which is essentially a, a government-regulated cash for keys. Uh, so we stay, we, we personally steer clear from that. We still operate and we still do rent increases that are below 10%, and that keeps everybody happy from a regulation standpoint, the tenants, et cetera. So you really have to know the local regulations which makes it a little bit more, more cumbersome. So we work with professional third-party uh, property managers who have dedicated staff to really adhering and complying to municipal codes. So that's that's another thing that, again, a lot of operators uh, out of state are steering clear of Seattle right now because, uh, again, uh, uh, of those additional regulations and restrictions that just, unless you're operating at a true scale, at big scale, it doesn't make sense to have your own dedicated staff to Absolutely. really understand the municipal code. So again, we've, we've got constraints from a government standpoint, um, from a development standpoint, right? CoStar just released a report in July of this year, July 2023, saying that uh, the housing starts for the West Coast entirely. Uh, Seattle specifically has are down 65% year over year. And what does that mean? That means in 2025, we are going to see an absolutely uh, plummet in terms of uh, new supply coming on the market. So what does that do, right? Supply demand. If we have less housing, if we have uh, less av- available housing stock, then housing and rentals are going to dramatically increase. So again, an- another issue that we're, we're working around. But right now, if if, we, if you have the capital, if you have the ability to invest, if you have the ability to buy, right now we are buying. We love the city of Seattle. Um, we love the tenants here. Uh, we do have some uh, difficulties working with the city, but we manage it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about profitability. So are you buying existing multifamily and doing value add? Are you building ground up? How are you guys doing your developments?
1: Sure. So doing both uh, with a primary fix on the former. Uh, primary fix on the, uh, on the, uh, value add, why cost of development right now does not necess- necessarily, uh, work well with the, uh, rental. And so yes, rental rates are going up, um, predictably not, not to where they need to be in order to pay the cost of developing. So a couple things in terms of the development is a, obviously everybody knows your construction costs are radically high. So if you're able to get a, a relatively low uh, LTV loan, a construction loan, let's call it 60 to 70% now, that's pretty common. Um, you're still going to be paying eight and a half, nine and a half, some 10% interest rates, even with traditional bank financing, right? This We're not talking about hard money right now. We're talking traditional bank credit unions that offer great terms, traditionally speaking, but based on where we're at, you know, terminal rate right now in the five and a quarter range. It's just, it's, it's, it's too much. And so, uh, it, again, it doesn't make a ton of sense unless you're, unless you've got the land essentially for free. Yeah. So, and obviously it
0: might become more of a thing, right? Where, you know, I mean, cause I've being in California, I've, um, you know, worked on some projects where there's 18 acres or 20 acres or things like that. And that it seems to be going in that direction a little bit where the offers are not as much like cash out offers to these landowners right it's more like hey you carry it up until we get paper lots or until yep. whatever the case may be
1: yeah absolutely i mean that's 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 how i've uh how we've operated since day one on the development is uh, a delayed closing uh b seller financing uh c ground lease and if none of those work then buy them outright
0: yeah and then obviously the price to buy them outright in a, Interest rate environment like we're looking at is probably a humongous discount, if if at all.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, un- unless unless the land comes with some uh, asset, income-producing mm-hmm. asset, yeah. then uh, we're not going to touch. We're not going to buy it outright. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. So so obviously, being mostly fixated on on the value add, that obviously you know makes sense on how you're much more profitable because it's a lot less cost. Um, so how do, you, how do you analyze deals now with interest rates being higher? Like how has it affected prices?
1: Sure, of course. Yeah, so right now I would say across the board, the easiest way to make things happen from an underwriting standpoint is usually about a 20% discount. And uh, that's, you know, I've, I've, I've done some analysis. I did a, a wide swath approach to everything that was listed on the market from a multifamily standpoint in early August, uh, late July this year. And uh, went through, offered it, had an LOI on every single property, which was about 60. And that just in the city of Seattle and across the board, you know, you had some that were 60% discounted because they were just wildly off base based on that operating income or some that were, which we've got right now, seven uh, under contract, 7% discounted, which again, is fantastic. So, um, what we do there is we, we try and beat them down and, and dictate or tell, you know, work with them essentially on the pricing Identify those that are motivate those sellers that are motivated. Work with them to figure out what is it that they need, um, and then start backing into an
0: offer. Have sellers in in bulk at all come to any realization that that times are changing, or are they still holding on?
1: In in bulk, I would say uh, no. For those that are sophist those sellers that are sophisticated, which I'm now working primarily with. Right. I'm not I'm not working with mom and pop operators in terms of trying to buy their properties. Um, we're not buying off market anything that's being shopped off market right now from a multifamily standpoint, at least here in Seattle. It's all wildly overpriced. It's, you know, a syndication group that bought it a year and a half ago, two years ago. And they're, hey, what can I get for it? Can I get out of this? Can I reposition my capital now? Um, and if yes, great, let's do it. If no, we're just going to keep holding on to it. Um, and then, I'll, and then you've got the other side of it where they've got such a huge equity base in it that they're not motivated. They don't, they don't need to sell. So those sellers that have uh, distressed loans, uh, non-performing DSCR loans, those are the sellers that are motivated. They are willing to talk. And so it's identifying those sellers typically through the last refinance or purchase, uh, period, um, that we're able to go in and get some incredible deals.
0: Now, are you buying these deals through um, brokers mostly, or or what's the methods to acquire them?
1: Sure. So I am a licensed broker myself. I do self represent our investment group, uh, which is you know super helpful for us. But these are yes, these are listed through the brokers.
0: Got it. And so, like, obviously, we've talked about discounts. We've talked about how you're finding these deals. Like are you doing this through syndication are you doing this through a fund
1: uh, single asset syndication i prefer to i personally prefer to to lp myself in single asset syndications because i am a numbers person i like to underwrite deals it is something that i actually do enjoy doing because i feel like underwriting is storytelling with, storytelling with numbers and so you get to put together you get to craft the story you get to craft this business plan based on financials and that's why I love underwriting. And so, single asset syndications, you know, I've invested in funds, I've, other people's funds. I've invested in other people's single asset syndications. And I personally prefer to invest in the single asset syndications because, again, as an underwriter, somebody who likes the numbers, I can actually go in, touch, feel, understand the business plan of the exact asset that we're investing in. Whereas with the fund, you're not necessarily. You don't get it's, that flexibility. It's
0: not tied to the one, the one asset. Yeah. Right. So then h- how do you see yourself? Like, how are you moving forward? Like how much of your net worth is tied up in your syndications and how much is tied up in LP positions and other syndications or funds? Sure.
1: Good question. So from a, ne- a net worth perspective, I would say 15% tied up in, other L- in LP position.
0: Yeah. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of 7-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs we're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Awesome. And then so like, how are you structuring your goals around growth? I mean, obviously is it just buy as many deals as makes sense or how do you think, think through that?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. So uh, I would say opportunistic in buying uh, deals outside of Seattle right now. Um, I'm opportunistic in buying development deals in, uh, primarily within Seattle and then, uh, the uh, multifamily that is within the city of Seattle, it is buying as much as possible. Um, uh, for a couple of reasons. A I do truly believe that we have one of the best tenant bases in the country. Um, I do truly believe that I believe that with the return to office mandate coming and being implemented, I believe that we are going to see a radical increase in uh, rental demand here in the city in the city of Seattle. Um, I also believe that so um, you, you see all the, the pictures of Seattle, you see all this, you know, I actually <laughs> I actually had a, a friend Call me the other week and uh, was asking, "Oh, how's Chop?" So Chop was back in COVID. We had hmm. Capitol Hill occupied uh, protests. Basically, this private group took over and created a no police, no government zone. Autonomous zone, and right? This this was like two or three years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And and anyway, uh, people were still a- are still asking me about that. How's that going? It's like it's awful. Stay out of here. Don't come. Uh, but no, no, no. Uh, from a, a, realistic standpoint, you know, where we've swung, we swing so far left in terms of, uh, politics, in terms of rent, potential rent control, nothing got passed like that, but we, we swing so far left. Yeah, I believe uh, we've started getting a lot more moderate. We've got a moderate, uh, city, uh, uh mayor. We've got a, a moderate city attorney and uh, the upcoming, uh, election cycle for the city council the majority of the seats are coming up for re-election and the majority of those re-election seats are all business quote business friendly on their priorities nobody talks about rent control you got a lot of moderates coming into the city council so uh, where that where that leaves us is we've got a lot of tailwinds coming uh, to be able to support growth support re- support investments into the city And so I do believe at this point I am in a hyper buy mode on a specific asset type, on a specific unit mix, in a very specific location here in the city of Seattle.
0: And so do you see, as a lot of moderates, you know, might flood into, you know, office, do you see that uh, kind of moving the needle back or do do you think it just prevents it from going farther left or...
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's I think more moderates in, in the space right uh, is going to move us more into a business friendly yeah. uh, state of mind uh, to where again we're going to be putting in, in place policies that do not you know mention do not work with um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, rent control. We're going to be talking about more density allowances. We're going to be increasing far the floor area ratio, which allows larger buildings per plot per square foot of lot. So, we're, so it's going to become a more developer-friendly place. I think it's also um, hopefully going to be talking about removing uh, unnecessary taxes on uh, uh, head taxes, for lack of a better word, on uh, large corporations in the city. We're going to talk about um, removal or reduction of other capital gains taxes. And so I think that we certainly will have a, a lot of tailwinds from a business-friendly standpoint with the, with the changing of the guards.
0: Which what I mean, I mean, I kind of use Seattle similar to like places like San Francisco in the sense that like, you know, it's such a desirable place to be from so many different vantage points, you know, where it's located on, you know, on the coast and all these types of things. So it's like, if they just made it friendly again, I can only imagine what that would do for business in particular. So, yep. um, so what is like your organization look like? I know a lot of these, you know, syndications stay very, very, very small, but with, the amount that you're doing, like, what does your team look like?
1: Sure. So I have a, a couple full time staff uh, from an asset manager standpoint. Um, I'm primarily responsible for business development, so working with clients, working with new uh, prospect, prospective investors, as well as the deal flow. Um, so that's something that I'm working on hiring part time staff for, and then transitioning there. I've got a business partner um who uh, is a mortgage broker and has a lot of knowledge and large rolodex in terms of um, his clientele and so it's it's really a relatively small shop right now but my big uh, my big premise on uh, what we do with our sponsor fee is uh higher so now instead of uh, really focusing on bringing that capital in house and you know spending it on cars and toys we're, we're spending it on hiring people. So we hired that full-time staff three months ago. Um, and, uh, with this, uh, uh, this fall, we'll be focused on hiring a, a staff for the, uh, um, either IR or the, uh, uh, deal flow side.
0: Awesome. So obviously you're opportunistic about investing out of state and wanting to buy everything. Like, is there kind of like, are you optimistic, but still holding off until these people are, it's just like, Hey, we're just, we're just going. What do so you mean? Our, your, so the optimism towards, you know, obviously the political landscape, right? So is yep. it kind of like I'm optimistic, but I'm still waiting to see to verify? Or is it like... No, we're no, no. We're, we're, we're full bore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're Within the city of Seattle, we're full bore. So um, even if we uh, did not change uh, from a geopolitical landscape, I am still very bullish. Yeah. Um, in terms of supply, right? What's what's supply going to continue to do to housing values, to rental rates? It's going to increase it. Um, you know, Seattle, like San Francisco, the Bay Area, some of these other places are very landlocked uh, by water, by mountains. And so we certainly are not creating more land to put on, to put more housing. So we are going to continually be constrained. We also have, at least in the current landscape, a very, very long development cycle. So in order to get, you know, I would say a mid-rise apartment permitted and uh, from raw land to permits pulled, you're about three years out. So we've got a long tail in terms of how long it takes to get these developed. So I I primarily look at supply. I also look at demand. Demand, right. So we had uh, Seattle was the number one large metro in the country from a growth rate perspective from 2021 to 2022. We'll see what 22 to 23 looks like. But Seattle is continuing to be a high, high growth from a population standpoint. And it's the right population. It's high paying, high paying jobs.
0: So talking about you and your journey a little bit, like did you start in single family? What was your real estate journey like?
1: Sure. So uh, real estate journey started uh, a little bit about a little bit more than five years ago. My uh, wife and I were about to have a kid. We uh, knew we had limitations in terms of income. We had new expenses coming. So we had to find something. I worked 10 years in corporate strategy and business development. And it was great. Loved it. Uh, Didn't know what I was missing, though. Uh, What I was missing was the additional income streams. My wife was a school counselor. You had a 10-year schedule, salary schedule, which barring any kind of renegotiations from the union, you could see in 10 years, you're going to be making $115,000. That's not going to do anything for anybody. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, w- we knew we had to find something and, uh, at that point I didn't have the time or patience to learn day trading. Crypto was kind of in its infancy at that point. And, uh, someone turned me on to buying small multifamily and having rentals. My wife and I had done, uh, uh live in flips. So we had a sense of construction. So we started buying uh, small multifamily properties in the st- in Washington state and you know they did they did okay we learned a lot of lessons uh did some evictions did some remodels did some value add uh, but you know quickly realized that we were tapped out of capital and we started uh, buying a a flip uh, started buying and flipping homes uh, which taught us a lot so over the course of uh, three years flipped and built 30 single-family homes and uh, transitioned in uh, uh, early last year early 2022 late 2021 into the multifamily larger multifamily scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and so do you find it to be easier or more difficult? I mean obviously, you know, there's probably more moving parts to multifamily, but overall I'm assuming it's an easier deal for you, right? To to make money, to be profitable, to have the life that you want.
1: You know, I think it's I think it's a little bit less stressful um because you're less susceptible to market swings and market fluctuations especially because what we're doing is we're buying uh, long-term deals with fixed rate debt you know the folks that bought in uh, I don't know 2020, 2020 2021 on fixed on variable rate debt bridge bridge debt with in, uh, these expectations of wildly improving NOI and then refinancing and then, they got caught with their pants down in terms of trying to refinance or sell. Uh, I think that that was a stressful environment for those people. But I mean, we've been, again, we have this, we have a much longer runway. So we've got ability to uh, operate in a, in a longer run, longer horizon standpoint, which to me is a lot less stressful. Uh, We're also working with much higher caliber contractors, right? With flipping homes, you're, you're, you're working with, you know, Joey and Sally and these, you know, random people that you pick up on the street. Oh, you know, I just lost $10,000 because my contractor, you know, took the money and he never came back. That just doesn't happen anymore, which, you know, is, is a huge relief. Obviously, we still do our due diligence. So maybe that's part of the new operations is we do a lot more due diligence now, not only on the property, but our partners. Hmm. And, uh, whereas back in single family days, you were probably, we, at least we were, we were just operating as quickly as we could because, you know, we had uh, day jobs as well.
0: Well, and in the single family, it's hard to retain. I mean, unless you're doing so many, it's hard to retain yep. people. Right. And I'm, I'm assuming the multifamily you're able to retain companies or people for, you know, for years, because it's like you have one thing after another with the yep. side that you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's really great. Uh, I mean, I, I took one of my uh, reliable, uh, high-quality, uh, relatively inexpensive uh, subcontractors, and now he's my primary general contractor, um, and he's doing you know the, 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 the apartment flips, and they're fantastic. He's obviously thankful because he's got a very, very steady job, so to speak, or steady pipeline of, of remodels um, I'm happy because I've got a reliable, trustworthy contractor.
0: Amazing. So what is, we we usually end the show with what is your life vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months. And I know that you're obviously bullish on Seattle. So let's maybe focus a little bit more like what is the vision for Carl and family personally over the next 12 to 18 months?
1: Sure. So I just climbed uh, uh, Mount Baker. Mount Baker is one of the big volcanoes here in, uh, uh, July this past year. And, uh, uh, right after that, I did an 18, uh, maybe 20-mile uh, trail run uh, three days later. So it's going to be continuing to do more of that. I've hired an endurance running coach about a month ago. So next year is going to be focused on uh, longer run, endurance, uh, outdoor adventures. So uh, more of those 18-mile, 20-mile days, uh, also competing in 25K, 50K, 100K uh, races. Uh, I don't really have the desire yet to do a hundred mile race. Uh, but you know, who knows? We'll see what that looks like. Um, more volcano climbs. Uh, I'd like to do Mount Denali before I turn 40. Um, that is a sizable financial investment as well as a time investment, right? You got to be willing to devote at least 21 days to no service. I have no idea how as an entrepreneur to make that work, quite frankly, um, so I got it all for that. Uh, and then, yeah, just more runs, more time with family. Uh, and uh, we love it. We love camping. Uh, we go camping every weekend, uh, just about every weekend in uh, Washington during the summer. Uh, last weekend, we were surf camping uh, out in Westport. This weekend, we'll be doing the exact same thing, surf camping um, and spending more time outdoors. So that's about it.
0: Love it, man. Carl, thanks for coming on and sharing a different perspective on some of these cities. I can't tell you, I was, as I'm sure you've heard the same, where it's like everybody wants to invest invest where it's easy, but it's so yep. cool when you can kind of flip it on its head and you know get strategic in a way that you can create returns, especially because this is really where I want to be in Seattle. So that's awesome. So guys, for those yep. of you out there listening, write down something you learned from today's episode, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.